when we were singing the, the last chorus, I just, I was quiet and I listened to your voices. And I think God had to just be beaming with joy in hearing us sing that, um, our, of our appreciation and worship for him. So I just wanted to commend you with that. Um, thank you. I've told you this enough times, but I'll say it again. You ought to sit up front because then you hear everybody's voices behind you. Um, but I just, I just feel like Jesus took great joy in our worship. And thank you to worship team and all of you for leading us. All right, this is a time in each week where we open God's word to find God's wisdom for our lives. That's what sermons are, opening God's word together to find God's wisdom for our lives. You know, lots of you grew up in the church and you've been told your whole life you're supposed to read the Bible every day. And I was with a group of pastors that were talking about how do we get people to read the Bible every day? And I'm really tired of telling people to read the Bible every day because, right, we're not doing it. I don't think the way to, to fix that in our lives is to tell each other we ought to read the Bible every day and be guilty about it for the rest of our lives. I really think that the key is that we start hungering for the wisdom of God in our lives so that we open the scriptures to find God's wisdom for our lives. So last week we um, looked at um, scripture to find God's wisdom for gratitude in our lives. I've got an echo. Do you guys have that? Thank you. You I'll keep talking, you'll um, fix it. Thanks, guys. Um, We we looked at God's wisdom for gratitude in our lives, and we looked at three levels of gratitude. And we talked about the third level of gratitude being that gratitude and abounding thankfulness to God in all things. And the reason that we can have an abounding thankfulness to God in all things is because we know that God is sovereign. We know that God is always working together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So we of all people who are followers of Jesus can have abounding thanksgiving to God in all things. No matter who's president, no matter whether we are succeeding or failing, no matter whether we are thriving or suffering, as followers of Jesus, we looked at the wisdom in scriptures We can have abounding thanksgiving to God in all things because as we said last week, it doesn't matter who's president of the United States, God is still king of the universe. Jesus is still the king of kings. So this week I want to look with you at um, two other themes, God's wisdom for grace in our lives and God's wisdom for generosity in our lives. Um, And you just heard the, the financial report here. Um, sometimes when pastors get up and talk about generosity, it's because their church needs people to give more. And that happens from time to time. This talk about generosity isn't to get you to give more money to Cornerstone. We are paying our bills. Now, if we have more resources, we'll do more things with the mission that God's given us to do. So this is not about getting you to give more money, um, open up your wallets and, um, and your checkbooks. This really is a message about the grace of generosity. Nurturing grace in our lives and nurturing generosity in our lives in every way. So let me, um, let me read our scripture text. I want to read it through. It's um, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. And then we're going to walk through the scripture text. It's probably up there behind me. There we go. But I'm going to read it here. Paul's writing to 
the Christians in Corinth. In this, he's going to talk about churches in Macedonia, different place than Corinth, but he's talking to the Christians in Corinth about the Christians in Macedonia, and I'll tell you who that is in just a moment. Paul says, now to the Corinthians, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his grace has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the grace of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. There was a famine going on in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for, more than we had hoped, for they, hold on. There we go. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving, back to the Corinthians, in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this grace of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, Paul says, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. All right, that word grace shows up five times in these verses. And it shows up in a number of different um, contexts. And so I want to talk first a little bit about grace. Grace is one of the rich, profound words of the Bible. Um, but I don't want to talk about the grace that we're most common, we're most used to hearing, which is God's grace given to us in our salvation. As important as that is, that's not really the grace that is being talked about in this text. What's being talked about in this text is in imitation of the grace of God, in imitation of the generous grace of Jesus, there is a grace that we give one another. There is a grace that we offer each other in the family of God and we offer it to those outside the family of God. And this grace has the ability to change us and bring a sweetness to the world. So, um, three things that, that we can find. And, and I did a, just a very short scripture study on grace and found three things about grace. Grace is, you'll, you'll, understand, you'll remember this phrase probably, unearned favor. Grace is unearned favor, favor that's given to us before we did anything. Grace is goodwill and acceptance and unearned favor. People of grace just plain honor the people around them. They don't expect the people around them to to meet their expectations or meet their demands. People of grace, when we're around them, we are accepted for who we are. And there is an incredible sweetness about that. Because we know how miserable it is to be 
around people who want to manipulate us to meet their goals or they want to fix us or they want to, they want to just make us better because we know that they don't really love us for who we are. They love us for who they want us to be, but not for who we are. People of grace love us for who we are. And we find that we can thrive when we're around people like that. I posted on our Facebook page earlier in the week a quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says that the Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Let me read that again. The Christian does not think that God will love us because we're good. It's not a performance-based spirituality. The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Now, if we can imitate that in God for each other, then we can stop loving people because they're good or they meet our expectations or they're what we want. And they can, can become good because we love them. Can you imagine that grace released in the family of God and that grace released in our workplaces and our schools where we commit to, like God, love people so that they can thrive? so that they can have a sense of, of their rightness in the world and that it's okay because we serve a God who is working together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's what grace, this is the grace that the scripture are talking about. Secondly, I found in the scriptures, grace is delight and charm and attractiveness. And it was very interesting because Luke chapter 4 talks about the gracious words that came out of the mouth of Jesus. Words that were, were a delight and that just are a joy. And there's an element of grace. When we're around people of grace, there's an unassuming just attractiveness that we want to be around them even more. Um, grace, thirdly, um, it's interesting. We're used to this idea of receiving grace from God, but there are a number of scriptures that, say that, that encourage us to say grace back to God. That's where saying grace actually came from. Those scriptures where we, the people of God, speak grace back to God. What's that about, right? There are times when we can be so filled with appreciation for who God is and what he's done that we just can't help ourselves, but we give God undeserved and unearned, and we we just give God our praise. And if nobody tells us to do it, it just comes out of us because we can't help it. And those scriptures tell us that God is blessed when we say grace to him. Now, if God is blessed when we say grace to him, how much more might we be blessed when we say grace to each other? As much as we long to be around people of grace, what if we longed even more to be people of grace? We love to be in the presence of grace. What if we said that we are absolutely committed as the followers of Jesus to give the presence of grace to those around us? All right, um, we got to move on. So let's talk a little bit about the Macedonian churches because they, they're an interesting group of churches. Um, there are 23 New Testament references to the Macedonian churches and three New Testament letters written to them. You will recognize some of them when I get there in just a moment. Throughout the New Testament, this group, three churches, this group of churches is constantly praised for 
the quality of, of their love for the brothers, their quality of their appreciation, for, the quality of their devotion to God. These three churches, you read about these three churches and you think to yourself, I want to be part of those, um, those specific churches. So, in Acts chapter 16 and 17, Paul is on what's called his second missionary journey. And we'll throw this up, and this is kind of his missionary, missionary journey. Um, and, um, and I'll read you a scripture in just a second that is going to talk about his ministry here in Galatia, in Galatia and where he's planning to go next. So, he, Paul's been on this journey. He's been in Galatia and in, in Asia. And he is over here in Troas at one point in Acts chapter 16. And let me read you what it says at that point. As soon as I find it. I'm not going to read you what it says there because I didn't put it here. So here's the deal. Um, Paul has been doing ministry with Silas right here, okay, in this area. He's been along this trip. And he gets up to Troas, and they're planning to go to Bithynia and Pontus. That was their... their they're just, when they laid it out, they said, that's where we're headed next. Paul is in Troas, and he, he's taking a nap, and he has a dream. And in his dream, a man appears in his dream, and the man says, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul realizes that's God directing him, instead of going northeast, to go over to Macedonia. And so he makes a crossing here, and go ahead to the next map, because we'll get you just this part. Okay, this is Macedonia here. Okay, Paul was in Troas, and he plants the three Macedonian churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And so let me give you some idea of what these churches are like. It's really clear that the church in Philippi was the church that Paul loved more than any other church. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1 to the the church there. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Then then you just hear his heart. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So he plants this church. And if you want to read about it, go to Acts 16 and 17. It's where he meets Lydia. He ends up being thrown in jail. I mean, there's, there's cool stuff that happens in Philippi. But out of it comes this church that deeply loves Paul, learns to love Jesus, And Paul loves them in return. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when he first got there, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, where he's going next, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. It's interesting, the church in Philippi Um, We have a letter of a bishop 100 years later. The bishop's name is Polycarp. He writes this to the church in Philippi. He says, I rejoice because the firm root of your faith, known from earliest time, still abides and bears fruit for our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we know about the church in Philippi. For over 100 years, they were still loving Jesus. 
loving each other, and caring for the world. See why I pray that the cornerstone will be like a, the church in Philippi, that in a hundred years there will still be people loving God because of the, the relationship that we've nurtured with God and with each other right here and right now. All right, then we go on to the church in Thessalonica. Um, in, in our Advent series this year, we're actually going to be walking through um, some of the writings of Paul to the, to the church in Thessalonica. Um, Paul commends them for being models to all believers everywhere. Paul praises them for living by the, just as the Word of God instructs them. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, About brotherly love, we don't have to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers who are in Macedonia. In 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul just commends them again for their love and their faith because it was not just a static love and faith, but it was a constantly increasing love and a constantly increasing faith. And then in 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul says that they would be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for what they were suffering. All right, get a feeling of the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica. Church in Berea um, didn't get any letters written to it. We only know one verse about the church in Berea when Paul's on this missionary trip, and it's from Acts chapter 17. And this is where we read, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. What happened at the end of um, Paul's time in Thessalonica is that um, there were some Jewish leaders that got jealous of all of his, his attention, and those Jewish leaders went and dragged out some of the new Christians, and they brought them before the judge, and the other Christians went to Paul and Silas and said, you got you to get out of town, okay? So that's the reference here to the Bereans, because right after that, he goes to Berea. The Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Again, you see why I pray the cornerstone will be like the churches in Macedonia? I pray that we would be a church that will examine the scriptures to make sure that everything that we are learning together and doing is actually true. Okay, all that for background. Here's what Paul says about the Macedonian churches back in our text. Paul says to the Corinthians, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his grace has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. All right, we know from historical records that they were very poor. And the word that Paul uses to talk about their poverty would be the equivalent of what we talk about today with extreme poverty. Okay, so this is not just mildly poor, but these churches live in a region, and when Paul talks about their poverty, he says... There was an extreme poverty. And then it's interesting that they were being tested and tried. Here's a church that is very poor financially. They're being challenged and tested and and persecuted. Yet what comes out of them is abundant joy and rich generosity. Isn't that an incredible picture? And don't you long for that to come out of us? No matter what our financial situation but especially when we don't have means, that out of that would come an abundant joy and a rich generosity. And even when we're persecuted, an abundant joy and a rich generosity. So I want to show you three characteristics of their rich generosity, what, what I'm calling the grace of generosity. 
And the first characteristic is they gave themselves first. That's verse 5. They did even more than we had hoped, Paul said. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord just as God wanted them to do. All right, here's the thing with just trying to live lives of stewardship or being in the world that tries to raise money for different... In the world and in really sub-below Christian generosity, you give your stuff, right? You look at what you have, that are the illustrations of Josiah, and you give out of your excess, but you only give your stuff. When we come to Jesus, we don't give our stuff first. We give ourselves to the Lord first. That's pretty radical. If you ever wonder what to do, I mean, with these offering baskets are going back and forth every Sunday morning, ever wonder what you're supposed to think about, okay? You know you're not supposed to pull out your phone and check your text messages. Um, here's what a great thing to do during the time that we're receiving the offering. Give yourself to the Lord every week in a new way. Because biblical rich generosity, the grace of generosity, gives ourselves to the Lord first. Well, the second characteristic, so it's, it's, it's self-giving. Second characteristic of the Macedonian church's giving is that they pleaded to give, which is interesting because usually when somebody needs money, the people who, who need the money plead that other people will give it. And now we've got people in extreme poverty begging Paul to be able to give to the needs of the Christians in, in Jerusalem. That's a turnaround from the world as well. We don't give as Christians because we're asked to give or because something's needed. We have been so changed that this grace of generosity makes us people who beg to give. We see a need and we beg to be there, to be able to be the ones that give to it. So um, a fourth century preacher by the name of John Chrysostom, he says this about um, the churches of Macedonia. He says, it was not Paul who did the begging. It was the churches that begged to give. Third characteristic of their giving is that it was sacrificial. So first of all, it was self-giving. Second of all, it was self-motivated. And third, they gave sacrificially. Verse 3, Paul says, I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. So one biblical commentator says, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They gave as much as they were able even beyond their ability. This grace of generosity will give till it hurts and will count it a blessing. When you have the grace of generosity nurtured in your life, it won't matter the cost to you because you'll be so focused on the goodness of God and the good will of, will of people. So Jesus says we should be storing up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So you give, and the same measure with which we give, God will give back, and he will, he will if you think of like a cup of rice, he will shake it together and pour more on top and shake it, and then he'll just keep pouring it to the, it is overflowing. That's what Jesus says what God is like, which means that 
One of the foundations for the grace of generosity is we realize we will never, ever be able to outgive God. Never, ever will your generosity outgive the generosity of God. All right. Paul writes then to the Corinthians now. He's off. He's been talking about the Macedonians. He says this to the Corinthians in verse 7. Since you excel in so many ways in Corinth, in your faith and gifted speakers and knowledge and enthusiasm and love, I want you to also excel in this gracious act of giving. The scriptures invite us to excel in the grace of generosity. And so I want to share with you, close this thing up, with three ideas about growing the grace of generosity within us. And um, three things, that uh, a couple of them for, that we find in the text that's here. Number one, if you want to grow the grace of generosity, then know the generous grace of Jesus every day. Paul talks about that in verse 9. He says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. The generous grace of Jesus. Imagine what it's like to be second person of the Trinity in eternity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and then to empty yourself of all of that to come to mankind as a baby, to grow up, and ultimately to be crucified, but as we know, also to be resurrected. Think of the rich generosity of Jesus. And if we can be reminded of the rich generosity of Jesus every day, that will start to shape us to want to respond like Jesus responds. Number two, love every day. All right, remember the rich generosity of Jesus. Love every day. Here's what Paul says in verse 8, and it's kind of an interesting twist because Paul, he's, he's, not, he's not trying to make us feel guilty when we lack generosity. What he says instead is, I'm not commanding you. He says, but I want to test the sincerity of your, your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Have you ever noticed how loving people are generous people, right? The more loving we are, the more free we are in with our time and with our energy, with our words, with our affirmations, with our grace. Loving people excel more in the grace of generosity. So you want to grow the grace of generosity? Go out of your way to be more loving every single day. Be fully present when people, when you're, with people when you're with them. Be fully, just pay attention to the people around you so that they know your love. Listen well to people in your lives. Pay attention to people's hearts. Um, here's one that I came across that was interesting this week. Writing a list of what you are grateful for someone is a way to grow your love for them. And this, an article I read this week, I and mean, that makes sense. We've probably all done it, right? Or an article I read this week said, so if you've got somebody who really annoys you, Write them a note about what you appreciate in them, and it will increase your love for them. Develop the art of asking deeper questions. Constantly seek the best good of others. Be more bold in affirming other people, and be filled with grace for other people. So here's an idea for you around Thanksgiving. I don't know how you're going to do Thanksgiving. I don't know what your traditions are in your family or whoever you're going to be with, but if you have a way to influence um, Thanksgiving Day, just encourage people to Go around the table. Say something that they 
are thankful to God for. Better yet, if you know each other really well and you can pull this off, say what you're really grateful for in each other. If you want to grow the grace of generosity, love better every day. And then the third one just is kind of a duh thing, but it's there. Um, if you want to grow in the grace of generosity, express generosity every single day. Generosity of your, your time and your resources and your attention and, and your focus on others. If you want to grow this grace, just do more generous things every day. God loves when we are generous people. Not only that, we're blessed beyond what we could imagine. Our generosity is remembered by others. Needs are met. Glory is given to God. And I'm going to read you a, a few more verses here. When we are people of rich generosity, we end up saying grace back to God. So let me just think about the blessings in Paul. In the next chapter, Paul goes on. He continues this theme of generosity. And I want to read you just um, seven or eight verses from what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should give what they've decided in their hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As the scriptures say, the good deeds of those who share freely and give generously to the poor will be remembered forever. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And this is how Paul closes this part of his um, book in 2 Corinthians about generosity. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. Your generosity to, to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. And he concludes like this, Say grace to God for this gift too wonderful for words. This is the wisdom of God about grace and generosity in our lives. I pray that we will be those kinds of people and that Cornerstone Church will be that kind of church. Will you pray with me now? Father in heaven, Help us grow this grace of generosity like the Macedonian churches. Like them, first, we want to give ourselves to you. And that means the entirety of who we are, we offer back to you. So work in us and through us and in any way and every way to do your will. Help us do whatever we need to to put our financial houses in order so we are generous to Cornerstone and to your mission. Help us to get our lives in order so we create space for generosity of time and gifts and attention and abilities. Help us remember the generous grace of Jesus every day.
Help us love better every day. Help us express concrete acts of generosity every day. And we thank you for this gift that is too great for words. And then, Father, I want to thank you for this church that is among the most gracious of all the churches that I have ever known. Help us to keep growing in grace and in generosity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.